Welcome back, Cracked fans, to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. It is officially time to begin one of my favorite exercises we do here at CR, a tradition that began last season, but one we hope to carry into each and every college tennis season moving forward. That, of course, is an exercise we refer to as NCAA Press Row, where I attempt to speak with each of the remaining 16 men's and women's head coaches prior to the start of the NCAA Tournament round of 16. Now, each of these conversations you'll hear over the next few days will be relatively similar in format. I want to talk to each of these coaches about their NCAA opening weekends, what allowed them to advance to this NCAA Sweet 16. Then I want to recap the season, where things stand. I want to talk about each team's best win of the year, the match they perhaps would like to replay the most from the course of the season. We'll talk about the team MVP, the most improved players that have made the success possible for all of these teams this season. Then, of course, I got to pick the coaches' brains about some big picture topics. I want to talk about the Super Regional format going to the top eight seeds for this round of 16 versus the traditional all-sweet 16 matches are played at one location format. What do these coaches prefer? Still very early in the exercise of determining if the Super Regional is worthwhile, but always fun to hear the coaches' initial reactions. And then, of course, we'll try to preview all of these Sweet 16 matches. I will try to coax as many match calculi as I I can from each of these coaches. What is their pathway to four points? How do they project their team's success moving forward throughout the NCAA tournament? We'll talk about all of that and so much more. Again, have a jam-packed week of content prepared for all of you listeners as we get all of you ready for the 2022 college tennis season's home stretch. Of course, you're going to be able to find each of these conversations both here on the Cracked Interviews podcast feed as well as on our website, CrackedRackets.com. Of course, you will also hear the same intro outro on each of these podcasts. I do apologize for that fact. Just makes life a little bit easier, a little bit cleaner for both myself and super producer Daniel Westoff. But again, over the next five days, I will attempt to speak with each and every men's and women's head coach remaining in the 2022 Division I NCAA tournament. Of course, the reason we're able to do that here on the Cracked Interviews podcast is because of the support we get from all of you college tennis fans out there who have tuned in week in, week out. We are immensely grateful for that fact. Also, I have to give a huge shout out to our friends at Swing Vision, who, of course, are on the forefront of all artificial intelligence innovations happening within the tennis world. If you are a college tennis head coach listening to these podcasts, if you are a player, if you are someone with high-level tennis aspirations, download the Swing Vision app today. You'll have access to more data, more things to improve your tennis game than you ever had before, all within the palm of your hand in an app on your phone. So again, learn more about our friends at Swing Vision by clicking on the link in the description to this podcast. I promise all of you, it is the most efficient way to improve your game in the modern day. A huge thank you to our friends at Swing Vision. Use that promo code CRACK20 when you sign up. But again, appreciate all of their support for this show. With that said, again, press row coming up. Going to try and speak with each of the remaining 16 men's and women's head coaches before the start of the NCAA round of 16. With that in mind, let's get to this interview. Hey, crack fans. 
Before we get to today's show, I want to let all of you listeners know about the revolutionary work being done by our friends over at Swing Vision. Now, all of us as tennis players are constantly searching for that piece of information that's going to give us that one, two, three percent edge whenever we step onto the court. We want to know, am I hitting my forehand with enough depth? Am I accurately placing my backhands? Am I employing patterns on the court that are putting me in an optimum position to experience success? Thankfully, all of those questions can now be answered via the app produced by our friends at Swing Vision. Folks, it's extraordinarily simple. You're going to download the app. You're going to turn that app on your phone. You're going to put your phone on the back fence, the back curtain of whatever court you're playing on. You're going to hit record. And then using artificial intelligence, Swing Vision is going to break down your performance. If you click on the link that you find in the podcast description here on today's episode, you'll go right to the Swing Vision website. And of of course, friends who use our Cracked Rackets promo code CRACK20 are going to get an additional $20 discount and a free 14-day pro trial on the Swing Vision app. Again, you use that promo code CRACK20, $20 discount, as well as a free 14-day pro trial. How do you find the link? To get signed up, just go back to your podcast feed. It's in the podcast description of this episode. You go to the Swing Vision website, you set up your account, you download the app, you get rocking and rolling, get all the information one location with our friends at Swing Vision. Joining us on the podcast once again today is a returning champion here on our Cracked Racket Shows, a man you all know best as the head coach of the Texas A&M women's tennis team. Welcome back to the show, Coach Mark Weaver. Coach, how are you doing today? I'm great. How are you doing, Alex? Oh, it's another day in paradise. I won't lie. I'm ready to change up these conversations. I'm like, so I'm ready for someone to just be like, you know, you're, you're I don't know. Yeah, I guess that shows you where my brain is uh, for right now. But I'm very excited to get the chance to do this and talk to you about your team because watching you all play uh, this past weekend was one of the highlights for me of this opening weekend of the NCAA tournament. And for you all, a 4-0 win over A&M Corpus Christi, a 4-1 win over Baylor. That was sneakily one of my favorite matches of the weekend and you know that's where I want to start today's conversation because looking at that 4-1 scoreline certainly I don't know if you ever felt like you were going to lose that second round match but Baylor tested you talk to me about the opening weekend what you learned about your team yeah you know I've got a lot of respect for the Baylor team and you know they Joey's ran a great program there for quite some time they're a very dangerous team uh, you know I wouldn't say I was necessarily worried but they definitely had my attention uh you know i <laughs> i really felt like in the doubles that that was going to be really important if we hadn't gotten that doubles point it was going to be pretty pretty dicey out there but uh we, we played well uh you know, we had an awesome crowd we had like some pretty raucous crowds actually both days we had a great crowd i think that really uh, helped us and uh, yeah we played quite well uh, baylor's plenty good you know i think uh, they've lost to some pretty good teams this year and you know, if, if they're probably just a little bit sharper, I think that's like a top 10 type team, top 15 type team there. So that, that, they have a, a good squad there. And uh, yeah, I was relieved to get past that one. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind, I believe there's what, like a 13 day layoff between the end of the SEC championship and the start of the NCAA tournament. 
What do those 13 days look like for you and the team? What are you doing to best prepare them for the tournament? Yeah, those are always tricky ones. I'm glad it was no more than the 13 days. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm always just intrigued by these footballs, you know, when they have these six weeks off with, with the ball game, that's always such an awkward one to get your team uh, ready. But yeah, I believe if my memory serves me correctly, we gave them uh, two days off. I'm usually not the biggest fan of uh, two days off. Uh, we oftentimes come out sluggish if we do much more than that. But uh, we really, really got after it. it. It's obviously that time of the season where there's little bangs and bruises everybody has. We're relatively healthy for the most part. So we're just trying to keep them sharp and healthy. And uh, we, we got after it pretty good, though. So we, we were we were ready to go. We, we generally don't mess around too much uh, in that in, uh, in between all fleet there. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, again, your team comes out sharp in the opening weekend of the NCAA tournament, and obviously we've had the chance to talk about some of the strengths in your lineup before. Let's talk about the doubles point one more time, and again, another another victory for you in doubles, and you look overall, JC Tatiana, 24-2. and Obviously, that's ridiculously impressive, but I actually think they're not the, the team that has made the difference this season. I think it's Carson and Mary. And for them to go 19-3, and three, both of them in their first year in College Station, you know, again, not to say JC and Tatiana are old news, but we knew how good they were entering the season. What clicked for Carson and Mary, and what has allowed them to sustain that success throughout the course of the year? Yeah, I, I agree with you. That was kind of what kind of uh, made the double season in a way. I do want to start by crediting JC and Tatiana. This has been the most consistent year they've ever had. They've always been a bit up and down, as good as anyone in the nation when they're on. They brought it uh, about 98% of the time this year, which is uh, a huge improvement. They've been a little bit inconsistent over the years to find something to be a little critical of them on. But uh yeah, you know, Carson, yeah, like you said, Carson Mary, both first-year college kids. Carson just uh, in her first semester still. So so that was, uh, I wouldn't call it a gamble, but uh, that was kind of the one where we're going to probably make or break a, a great lineup if, if they worked out, and they've worked out great. I think uh, their physical skills have really complemented each other where, you know, Carson's kind of a big hitter and can kind of dominate the point, and Mary's like a, a brick wall out there, doesn't, really missed, doesn't really screw it up. And then she's got, you know, great volleys and great hands. They really complement each other well. And uh, yeah, they've been very impressive this year. I've asked this question to a couple of coaches because the doubles point is so fascinating to me. And I do think over the next four rounds, the team that wins the NCAA tournament on the women's side is going to have to capture at least three. Like maybe they'll escape once, but I think you're going to have to go three and one in doubles if you want to end up as the NCAA tournament champion. When you are coaching doubles, is the first thing you're coaching the skill set? the poaches, you know, the serve and volley, whatever it may be, or are you coaching the energy? Because in my experience, it's the team with the most energy and the team that can sustain that energy that ends up winning beyond anything that's executed on the court from a play perspective. No, the energy can take you far, far ways there. It's such a quick deal there. Sometimes 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and and bang, it's over. If you come out with low energy, it's just too too short uh, to catch up on. So we, those are usually the highlights of our practices. We, we tend to get after practice uh, quite well, but the doubles is always an extra added excitement. Little ex, we always kind of tease them about 
who can bring the most energy today. And they really kind of embrace it. I, I can't recall us ever not having a day in the doubles where it's just kind of not fun and exciting and, and competing hard. So that does make a big difference. And yeah, like you said, the doubles is so key. I remember there being a stat last year. It might have even been you that came up with it. I don't know if anyone won a match that they didn't win the doubles point last year for maybe the Sweet 16 on. It was something pretty uh, alarming on that stat there. So it's, it's obviously very key. Yeah, I'm, I do remember that. I mean, case in point was Pepperdine, right, who steals the doubles point against UCLA, steals it. Uh, steals not the right way against North Carolina. They probably just outplayed them there. But then Texas steals the doubles point in that final, and ultimately it made the biggest difference. You know, you look at the number three doubles spot, and, you know, Renee and Gianna, 8-1 and one now overall at that spot, 11-1 and one on the year. That said, you have played five different number three doubles pairings. I know there are some players on your roster who certainly are capable of contributing if called upon do you feel pretty good about where your lineup is? And, you know, again, SEC Championship, you played around a little bit with that number six single spot. Should we expect Coach Weaver to be tinkering a bit, perhaps throughout the remainder of the season? Well, you know, the doubles, yeah, just, uh, you know, not to give away all of our, our secrets. <laughs> sure. It's pretty obvious that Renee McBride's had an, a knee injury this year, and uh, you can see it by the big wrap mm-hmm. on her leg. I won't quite go into any more specifics, but Renee's always been – uh, a huge contributor in the doubles. Uh, she can, uh, you know, just knock the holy crap out of the ball there. I, you know, I'd love to play doubles with Renee uh, McBride there. So they've really complimented each other really well. I think uh, she was a very experienced doubles partner. And I think she's really helped uh, Gianna kind of take her doubles to a, another level. And they really complement each other. Uh, they're both bringing a lot of energy out there. So I don't think there'd be too much tinkering. Uh, there at three doubles. Uh, Renee would have been, you know, in the doubles all year. We just were trying to manage that that injury there and trying to figure all that out, which we were able to do. And yeah, you know, six singles. I've got some options there. Um, Morellis has uh, looked very impressive uh, over the weekend, this past uh, weekend there. And I think that's some of the best tennis she's played. She's really, uh, you know, when I took her out, which I know that wasn't the most enjoyable time of her life or nor anyone to get taken out. She really embraced that and just put her head down and, and worked, worked her tail off. And she's truly come back a much, much better player. Uh, so she's, she's looking really good. And uh, yeah, we're, we're uh, Cotty is uh, looking pretty good as well. So now you have options, I would say, is the fair way to say things. And again, I won't ask you to give away the entire store. I will ask you again, 32 and one overall, your team has won 23 consecutive matches, which by the way, hey, great shot as we say here at Cracked Rackets, not too shabby. How do you avoid complacency setting in for this team? Yeah, you know, I think the nice thing is, you know, we sat down with all of our kind of team goals early in the season and, uh, you know, a lot of them are kind of, attainable and some are somewhat uh, maybe I would say uh, far-fetched but every goal we put out this year was a, a very achievable and the national titles are we've, we've accomplished all of our goals so far the national title was our ultimate goal and uh, I think the girls are just hungry for that uh, you, you know that the SEC definitely uh, wasn't a given by by any means but we did you know fairly comfortably win the, the regular season and the tournament, you know, we were actually struggling with some illnesses out of the conference tournament the whole time there. And it was amazing to see how the girls all overcame that there. And uh, yeah, the national title has been the goal uh, all year. And uh, yeah, all you can do is kind of play the next match. The next match is Vanderbilt for us on 
Saturday, a much improved team. I really credit their coaches. They kind of started out a little rocky this year, and to their credit, probably playing the, their best tennis of the season. Should be a fun, exciting match. Yeah, no, I mean, again, it was uh, for your team. You mentioned it. I don't think you played a four-three match. I know that match at Tennessee ended up four-three, but if memory served me correct, it was four-two at the clinch. And you know, again, undefeated SEC season. You guys managed, and Florida almost got you. But you hold on for that 4-3 win in the semifinals, 4-0 victory over Georgia in the conference championship. I don't think, you know, again, down year for the SEC, I would disagree. I think the depth is as good as it has ever been. And to run the gauntlet, you know, undefeated and to not play a 4-3 match until the conference tournament, what does that say about the state of your program? And as you're going through that, by the way, are you just like, you know, every night it's just, I'm going to keep, you know, it's it's another beer for me because I'm just going to ride this wave, right? It's just like, this is unbelievable. Yeah, you know, we've been so busy. The, the reality <laughs> hasn't quite set in yet uh, yeah. what, what we have uh, accomplished there. But, uh, yeah, you know, it, it's been kind of funny. I've heard that uh, several people, oh, SEC is not very good this year, but, you know, we had five teams in the Sweet 16, and yeah. Tennessee was a hair away of beating North Carolina State there. You know, if if uh, Martina wins that 12-10 breaker against Daniel, you know, I think they had a lot of momentum. That would have been six out of 16. So I, yeah. I find it laughable when people say the SEC is a little down. You know, in my opinion, a lot of it had to do with the national indoors. The rankings, 100%. You know, Georgia, Auburn, and Florida lost several close matches there. If they win just a few of those – they're all probably in the top 10 and we're in the top five. And, uh, you know, that's just kind of how the whole uh, ranking formatting system kind of plays itself out. Well, uh, with with that in mind, I have to ask the question. NCAA tournament draw comes out. Texas A&M, the number seven overall seeds. Now, the term draw integrity has been used in the past by the NCAA commission the more closely I follow the NCAA tournament draw each and every year, the more convinced I am that draw integrity is a myth. That, with all due respect, and I understand the NCAA committee's purpose, especially in a sport like tennis, where the first two rounds are paid for by each school competing in the event, but, like, you, I mean, again, 32-1, and one, you guys haven't lost since February. It's five SEC teams in the Sweet 16. You beat them all. There had to have been a little frustration at that number seven seed. Yeah, you know, we've used that as, as motivation. I know I've used the chip on our shoulder with you before, but that, that was a big case. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I get it. The ITA rankings are this. The USC rankings are that. I feel like probably there should be a little bit of a mix of, of the two. I'm not saying, you know, maybe North Carolina deserves it and so on and so forth. But, you know, I really feel like we're uh, – should have been higher than the seven. I really was pleased with with our uh, draw there. But, uh, yeah, you know, I, I hate the fact that I predicted our draw almost to a T, you know, a, a week before it was ever even announced. So that's just the, the kind of uh, part I don't like so much about it. You know, if, if anyone saw, you know, uh, the money that's spent each year on the budget and all the other schools, it's kind of like what's the point of spending another – Mm-hmm. ran here or ran there to have have it play out more the way it, it really should. So. Yeah. No, I have become the expert at reading the travel matrix. Like, I'm very good at that now, let me tell you, Coach. And that's a skill. Yeah, I'll put that skill set on the resume. I'm sure that's going to help me in life. But, no, I, I mean, I could understand the frustrations there. And, you know, because, again, you guys have not lost since February. And I am curious, as I try 
try to set the scene for all the college tennis fans who are tuning into these podcasts and tuning into the NCAA Sweet 16. Was there ever an inflection point for this team this season? I mean, certainly that Cal match the last time you lost, clearly something clicked after that. But was there a moment or, you know, a match you can point to this season where this team sort of, you know, gained that confidence to to be able to run through a conference season undefeated and win the conference tournament? Yeah, you know, there's probably three matches maybe that really stand out. I would start with that that Cal match that uh, definitely, you, you know, a, ha- a hair there, a hair there. We win that, and you never know how that uh, draw plays out there. I think it would turn out quite well uh, for us. You know, that Florida match at home uh, was a big match. It was a very tough uh, 5-2 match there. Uh, you know, we had a pretty nice crowd out there as well for that one. But, you know, Florida, they're still plenty good. You know, maybe they're not the team they were when they won all the national titles, but they're still a really good team, and it's always a mental thing playing a Florida-type team. And I, I think that. And then the ultimate was when we went to Athens and won 7-0 at their place, just kind of unheard of. And it was just kind of like, wow, we're really good. So, um, yeah, I, I think even the girls were kind of like – Knew we could win, but to win at 7-0 there was a really telling day for us. Mm -hmm. And we've talked about her before, but maybe you guys had your postseason award banquet. Maybe it's coming up after the season. I I think it's a fairly obvious case, but who would be the team MVP for you all this year? Yeah, you know, I I always never want to hurt anyone's feelings, (laughs) but when you got, you know, Tatiana Makarova, she's literally undefeated in dual matches this year. 27-0 is ridiculous. Yeah. Pretty ridiculous, and, and yeah, they've only lost a couple at number one doubles, and you know, you can even go back to last season. She won. She only lost one dual match last year. I know we're just talking about this season, but uh, yeah, I think that would be uh, someone you'd have to go with. But there's some pretty outstanding records all across the board. But I, I you know, Tatiana was the MVP of the SEC tournament, and rightfully so. What do you think her presence does for the rest of the team? Yeah, you know, I, we had a, we had a little local interview yesterday, and Mary Stuana was over there, and she was just really bragging on, on Tatiana about how she and the, and the practice and the great role model that she's been. You know, fifth year senior who had well more than a rocky start here and in her career, and hadn't really bought into our program and the work ethic, and even the just kind of the team environment. So she's really just made huge, huge strides in that. I think. It, just what a great example she's been uh, for our program and to see her rub off on the, the young ones here, all the freshmen we have. It's been great. She's put, you know, again, the 24 and 0 in sing- or 27 and 0 in singles, 24 and 2 in doubles. We'll call those all as half a point. So she's put up, what, 39 points for you all this season in that principle. That's got to be a single season record. And like, yeah, you look at the record book. I'm sure she's climbing up the list in terms of all time wins and just, you know, again, what she's been able to accomplish, obviously second to none. And so it's been such a pleasure to watch her on the flip side. Who's the most improved player for the Aggies since day one of the season? Boy, you know, that's a good question there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't. Uh, a lot of good well, nominees, I'm sure. Yeah, a lot of good nominees there, uh, that's for sure. Yeah, that's, uh, boy, you, you know what? That's a tough one to answer. I might have to refrain uh, from an <laughs> answer that, but, you know, I, I guess in a way, maybe you'd have to say Mary, say Mary Stoyana. Like, she was very good coming in, but, you, you know, the – the, the jump she made from the juniors to the college, um, you know, her record against 
ranked opponents is just pretty outrageous. It's just hard to believe she didn't make the NCAA uh, tournament in the, in the singles. So, but yeah, I, 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 that's a tough one to answer, but yeah, I guess Mary is probably the one that would come to mind. She had won very well ever since she'd been here, but I think since she came in, I, I would probably have to say her. And you look again more broadly at all the freshmen you brought in this season, and obviously Mary, uh, one of the prominent examples, but certainly, you know, in your lineup, she's not the only one. You've had Gianna playing, uh, you know, throughout the majority of the year, and, you know, Jeanette was playing throughout the majority of the year as well. What allowed these freshmen to have the success that they did here in their inaugural college tennis season? Because obviously that's not something, you know, Mary's record of what I think it's 24 and or 25 and two, that's ridiculous. But even Gianna 18 and eight, like you just don't see a lot of 18 and eights from freshmen. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it all started in the recruiting at Coach Savo and I worked our tails off and uh, yeah, what an amazing job Jordan has done in the recruiting and the development of our players and uh yeah we, we not only got a bunch of young ladies who are already good tennis players but truly love tennis love to work hard uh want to just come out for private hits all the time in the mornings and uh yeah i, I think they really just balled into they want to get better and better and uh it's been a pretty easy deal with them it's it's we're not forcing any of the freshmen to get out there. They're just dying to get out there. Anything where probably like, Hey, you need to maybe chill out a little bit here. So um, I think that's a big, big part of it. Cause they all have improved. Jeanette's improved. Uh, Gianna's improved, you know, even Ellie uh, Pittman's improved. She just hadn't got many opportunities out there, but it, you know, she's, she does a good job out there in the practices. No, I mean, again, it feels like this season, as fun as it must be to have only one loss, it's also set the foundation for the next few seasons as well. And, you know, again, next year, or last year, because I believe, if memory serves me right, round of 16 for your team. And um, was that the Florida State match? Like, I, I remember. Right? Yeah. Okay. Shout out to the brain. Still works. Um Sorry, it's just I'm surprised it still works at this point of the week. But uh, that's my MVP right there is the brain for sure. Uh, With that in mind, you know, again, guys came up a little bit short in that matchup last year. But all you know, how does that experience help shape the way this group has prepared for this year's, you know, this final stretch? Yeah, that, that's a, a good thing to bring up there. That Florida State was a really, really close match there. It was a 4-2, and yeah, it was a weird one because Katya Townsend was playing. I think that was line three, and her opponent was like cramping, and it was kind of like one of those middle things. And if you know, if, if we could just hung out there a little bit longer, we'd probably get that one. And I, I believe we were winning the last match on. It might have been the other last match on. I think that was Riley played was – plan um yeah yeah i think we use that as fuel i can remember meeting with the girls at the end of the season just tell them how proud of them uh, i was of them and and just remember telling them even specifically with the renee mcbride like i want more like this is great but i, I want more it's time to do more and i think that's kind of been the, the attitude of everyone going into the season we, we've raised the talent but we've kind of also raised kind of the desire and then the belief as well. Yeah, no, again, certainly, and for this group to be able to play that round of 16 match at home, I go back to the 2018-2019 season, which, of course, was the last time we had Super Regionals, and if memory serves me correct, it was a reversal of fortune, and you guys were traveling to Vanderbilt. Uh, With that in mind, Super Regional format, Sweet 16 at one site, which do you prefer? Yeah, you've got a great memory there, Alex. (laughs) 
you know, I'm going to change my tune really quickly because when we went out to Vanderbilt, I didn't like it at all. It was a really blah, no, no offense to Vanderbilt. It was just a real blah environment. It didn't seem like NSA tournament. It, it didn't even seem as good as a normal SEC match. I'm not quite sure why that was. Now, now that we've turned it, yeah, I'm pretty darn excited to be playing at home. And <laughs> hopefully a great crowd. But honestly, I, I like the Sweet 16 all in one place there. It just, I mean, it's just kind of what I grew up in as a player and in all my year, early years of coaching. It's like such a huge feat to get to the Sweet 16. It almost kind of downplays everyone's accomplishment. And I'm not so sure a team should have that advantage for, for three rounds. Now, And I'm saying that we've got it this year. So. Yeah. I would probably go back to the Sweet 16 if it was my choice. Do you have any concern, and again, just to offer the counter-argument here because I like hearing your thoughts on it, I've been at that 9 a.m. round of 16 match. I've also been at the 9 p.m. round of 16 match, and you know that USF uh, UCF Duke match last year in the round of 16 was just phenomenal. But looking around in the crowd, there were 12 sets of parents and me, and that was it for an NCAA round of 16 match. I imagine that's not going to be the case for you all in College Station tomorrow. And so, I, I mean, again, it, your th- it's a balance, right? No, no, that's a great point. Yeah, because I can recall back when I worked with Howard Joffe, we had a 9, 9 a.m. match in Atlanta, Georgia, and we were in Athens. We had to wake up at like some ungodly hour and <laughs> stress through the Atlanta traffic to play in front of uh, two people there. You, <laughs> you know, so uh, it, it, yeah, we're going to have a packed crowd, my guess, tomorrow. Uh, my guess is anywhere from close to a 1,000. Yeah, it's, just, it's the same as our baseball game, who's doing really well. It, 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 so I don't know if our fans will, will bleed over back and forth there. But, yeah, yeah, I, uh, yeah, I agree. You know, I think maybe the answer to that 9 a.m., 9 p.m., maybe we just need to spread it out a day somehow and look at the scheduling. You know, we, we've – we made the finals there back in 2013, and I remember Christina Sanchez Quintanar, you know, lost a, a brutal match to, you know, Cole Gibbs there, and then we lost pretty late that night. We had to come back out and play like right the next day, and that's a pretty uh, not the best feeling to, to come out there right the next day. So maybe we spread it out somehow, but yeah, that's well, a good point. One solution that's been offered, and that's where this was all leading to. Does college tennis need an Omaha, uh, a center central hub that every year leads back to? And I know we've got Orlando, which is the Mecca and is probably one of five facilities in the country that can actually facilitate, facilitate, no pun intended, an event like this because of the 100 courts. And I mean, for me last year, I was in heaven where I could just wander around and watch A&M practice, watch Cal practice, do this, do that. Do we need an Omaha? Like, would you be fine if we weren't rotating across the country anymore? I'd be for an Omaha because I don't like the advantage of, you know, when I was coming up, it was always at Athens, which yeah. always does a great job. But it, what an advantage that is was for them each and every year. And, uh, yeah, like an Omaha would be a neutral side. And, and I'd be all be for that because I've even toyed the idea of maybe the men's and the women's don't even need to be at the same location. Uh, I don't know how many other sports do that. It's just, you know, having 32 teams at one side, it may not be the best there, but yeah, if you've got an Omaha with a hundred sports, yeah, that's probably a pretty good idea there. I've called around to the local champagne hotels and I'm like, who's staying where? And they're like, you're not going to believe the situation. And so, yeah, no, it's definitely a rush and 
Yeah, I agree. Like Athens certainly has the history. At the same time, we're just going to gift that to Georgia. Like that doesn't seem particularly fair to me. Orlando's one spot. And then just to introduce it into the lexicon, just because maybe I can cajole all of you coaches to doing this for me. Midland, Michigan, 40 indoor courts, 24 outdoors. They already have 125K. I'm just saying there's worse places to be than Midland in May. But, you know, again, with all that in mind, Sweet 16 match coming up. You're taking on a Vanderbilt team that you guys have beaten twice. That said, you know, a wise man once said, it is damn near impossible to beat a team three times in one season. What's it going to take from your team? What sort of effort are you looking for as Texas as you guys all try to advance in this tournament? Yeah, you know, that that's uh, the, the, the team three times in a year. I haven't asked yeah. that a lot this week by all of our local uh, reporters. And, uh, yeah, you know, the way I look at it, every team is going to be really good in the Sweet 16. Uh, they're obviously going to know our games, and we're going to know their games as well. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm pleased with, uh, you know, the matchups uh, that we'll likely have, and I'm pleased with – familiarity of our courts and uh, you know it's going to be very very hot this is going to be another element to that you know the forecast has been around 93 to 95 uh, tomorrow and we picked the 2 p.m spot intentionally <laughs> you, you know so i think the heat we train in it uh, every day so it should be just a normal day for the aggies yeah, I was talking to Aliki yesterday, and she was sleeveless, sunglasses on, and she's like, it's 95 out. And I was like, it looks 95 out. I was like, I've never seen a 95 look through a Zoom uh, more than that. But, you know, again, last two questions for you before I let you go. It is the Sweet 16 here. And, you know, I like to think there's no one out there who watches more college tennis than me. Um, you know, nowadays, and we're at the end of the interview, so I'm gonna, I'll get Eric. I think I'm the college tennis mind of a generation. I like to think I've seen about as much as anyone. And yeah, I'm feeling confident right now, coach. Um, but with that in mind, I have no freaking clue who's going to win this 2022 NCAA tournament. It does feel like, again, parody is the name of the game. And honest to God, whoever plays best over these last four rounds, like that, I know that sounds stupid, but in a vacuum, whichever team can play the best is the team that's going to win. I'm curious if you feel that way and if that is a good thing for women's college tennis. Yeah, I, I can't remember a year where it's more wide open. Uh, and I love that. I think there's a few... Many years where it's this one or two teams where ah, they're almost for sure going to be in the semis or the finals, whereas I think all year it's been pretty obvious there's close to 10 teams that can maybe uh, win it all. So I think that's exciting. It's great to see how these uh, the, the champions these days are kind of being more spread out. Um, uh, you know, I think Stanford has won plenty over the years, and it's kind of nice uh, that it's getting spread out a, a bit more. So I think it's wide open. Uh, uh, yeah, it's who's going to play better tennis on that day. It, I think that's really great for college tennis. Mm-hmm. I know you're not looking around ahead, but obviously you have a bunch of individuals who have already gotten to and you know secured their spot in Champaign. Are you a superstitious man? Are you going to be like, well, the last time we were in Champaign, we did X, Y, Z. So God damn it, we're doing X, Y, Z again. <laughs> yeah, he probably, he probably so. I'm not quite sure where they're putting us up yet at, at the hotel there. Obviously, we'll have to beat Vanderbilt first. But, uh, yeah, I'm a bit of a creature of a habit. I like to keep things the same. But, uh, yeah, we, we were actually up there a few years back as well. We played University of Illinois, so we know the town yeah, uh, quite I, well there. So. 
Someone said, and I, I don't mean to be rude because I love the Atkins Tennis Center and I love being there, but it's like there is no experience quite like watching an NCAA final through a fence. And I was like, <laughs> that is very, very, very well put. But uh, again, with all that said, uh, Coach, uh, congratulations on a spectacular season to date. Now, the season's not over, but obviously to be able to win the SEC championship, to go through the regular season undefeated, simply put, even in the heydays of the Floridas and the Vanderbilts, that doesn't happen very frequently in the SEC. And so again, that's a testament to what you and the coaching staff have done. And I appreciate, by the way, when you talk about team MVP, I would say one out of every three coaches just goes, oh, it's my assistant. And you didn't do that. And I'm immensely (laughs) grateful uh, for that fact and for you tolerating all of my nonsense throughout the course of the season. So again, coach, good luck to you and the Aggies this weekend and look forward to seeing you all in Champaign. Well, thanks, Alex. Hey, I got a question for you right quick. We, we, we got to get your boy, uh, your sidekick, Don Parsons, a little more on the Aggie bandwagon. I'm going to... I'm gonna mail him some maroon, uh, maroon shirt, maroon hat. So um, <laughs> the thing we do, it's a yin yang. It's you know he's the JC to my Tatiana because I'm the undefeated one here. Uh, but yeah, no, yeah, I agree. I, I, look, I'm working on him, as you know, Coach. I've been working on him all year long. But I appreciate you saying that, and he will be in Champagne. So a little oh, extra right. juice. Bring him some gear to pick from up in Champagne Avenue. Yeah. I love <laughs> it as always. But again, Coach, congratulations to you all, and wishing you all luck this weekend. Thank you, Alex. Appreciate it. Keep up the great work. Hope all of you enjoyed my conversation with another head coach of a Sweet 16-bound college tennis team. A huge thank you both to this coach and every coach for taking the time to chat with us here at Cracked Rackets. Again, trying to set the scene for all of you listeners down the 2022 college tennis season's home stretch. I've been immensely flattered by the reception we have gotten from all of these coaches who are so willing to participate in this exercise. And again, try to set the scene. For all of you listeners, try to make sure you maximize your enjoyment through these final few weeks of the college tennis season. The plan here is to interview all 32 remaining head coaches. Now, it's only a success if we hit all 32. So I promise you, listeners, that will be our goal, as that is what we were able to accomplish last season. Again, you can find all of those podcasts here on this feed. You can find them on our website, crackrackets.com. A shout out, as always, to super producer Daniel Westoff on the ones and twos. He has a f- of an editing job to do this week, makes all of this content possible. So shout out to him. Shout out to our friends at Swing Vision as well. Again, learn more about the Swing Vision app by clicking on the link in the description to this show. With all of that said, for our fantastic guest, our super producer, Daniel Westoff, our friends at Swing Vision, from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to another edition of the Cracked Interviews Podcast. Stay safe, stay healthy. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>